Hey everybody, it's Matt Weaver here at Bible Truth Project, and today we're going to have another discussion with Willard, um, and we're going to discuss the book of Daniel. I don't know how far we're going to get in this discussion today, but I thought it'd be an interesting uh, discussion to have with him and to kind of go through the book of Daniel and to, to hear perspective, talk back and forth, etc., and discuss the content that we can find here. Daniel is one of these interesting books in scripture because it is it was written during the first diaspora when the children of Israel had sinned and God had sent judgment uh, against them that they were taken, of course, to Babylon. And during that time, Daniel, who was uh, Belteshazzar, um, basically wrote his life experience and the things that took place in his time and the longing, of course, they had to return to the Israel and the covenant land. So, the book of Daniel is a very fascinating book to me, and it's one of those books, it's very interesting in, in, in this sense that it is the only book that Jesus directly mentions in the Olivet Discourse. So when we're looking at Matthew 24, and Jesus is on the Mount of Olives talking to the disciples, and he references uh, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So there's a direct connection in the mind of at least Jesus' mind as, as he was presenting it, that the last days and the events um, were described to the prophet Daniel. Of course, there's other prophets who also seen bits and pieces, including John in the book of Revelation. But Daniel is a tremendously foundational book for understanding uh, the last days and eschatology, and eschatology in general. So anyway, thanks for doing this, Willard. Uh, it's always good to discuss the Bible with you. So appreciate you taking the time. Yes, looking forward to it again. <laughs> I enjoy uh, hearing your perspective as well. All right, well, let's jump into it. So we're going to start in Daniel 2 because it's kind of the first thing that takes place. I don't know that we need to read all of it, but essentially what takes what happens in this is the part where the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar uh, has a dream, and in this dream, he sees this great image of himself in the four-part uh, image, the head of gold, the arms um, of silver, the torso of brass, legs of iron, and then the feet, which are iron mixed with clay, uh, and then ten toes that the Bible describes. So, and this is a famous image um, that people refer to in prophecy. Some people connect it to the later prophecies in Daniel 7, Daniel 11 and 12. Some people don't. Some people just say it's kind of a standalone prophecy that is, you know, unique to Nebuchadnezzar, etc. So we're going to read, I think, from verse 31 further down, if that's okay with you. Yep. Do you have a preference as far as translation that you use? I don't. Uh, I... Most of my studying has been done historically, historically using King James. So that's a lot of times what I'll quote, but I'm using New King James much more to teach the last few years. Okay. Uh, with the small church that we're at, we have a lot of non-Christian <laughs> non background people, so they find it very challenging. Sure. So I tried to modify over uh, and use New King James so it's a little more understandable. Okay. All right, so let me go to New King James here. Well, that's with the Apocrypha. I don't want that one, do I? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, sure. Okay. Thou king sawest and behold a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet, part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out of without hands, which smote the image upon its feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And I will tell, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou king art a king of kings before the God of heaven. Uh, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength. You know what? As I'm reading this, and like I can share my screen. <laughs> That'd be easy. Should just do that. Give me just a second here. Okay. So you can see where I'm reading. Yep. Uh, this is the dream, and I will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and fowls of heaven hath he given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art the head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee and another kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these things shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of the potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of the iron for as much as thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron, part clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly broken. Some translations say brittle. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. But they shall not cleave one to another, for as iron, even as iron in, is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, brass, clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. So there's the basic context. Let's go back here uh, of what we're discussing. So I guess start off with your, your position and how you understand this. All right. Well, um, it's pretty clear what the Babylon, uh, the head of gold, the head of gold is Babylon and the silver, the, the uh, breast is silver, chest, that is Medo-Persia. And the brass is Greece and the iron is Rome. Now, I don't know, do you have, do you have a whole lot of questions in the first few or? As far as you're saying the first, the, the whole. Uh, on the gold, the silver, the brass. I think more of the, more of the technicalities come in with the Aaron and understanding 
the dream in the feet and the legs. Well, possibly the one angle that I know that has stood out to me mm-hmm. is that in the in in verse 44, it says that in the days of those kings, and it doesn't say the last king, but it uses the term in those kings. Let me just go back to the screen so you can see it here. Um and in the days of those kings, this is net. I mean, I can switch to ESV here. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven. This caught my attention mm-hmm. because you're, it, it is speaking of, uh, I mean, of course, Melech, which is, I think this is the Aramaic portion of Daniel. Mm-hmm. It's Malach in Hebrew, but Melech. But it's using this plural, plural tense that to me is, is intriguing because if it's in the days of those kings, it means they all exist at the same time. Okay. That's the one way to view it. And you could also make the argument, of course, the sequential, we get that where first you have the, the, you know, the head of gold or the Persian or Babylonian empire, and then the Medo-Persian and then the Roman uh, or the, sorry, the Greek and then the Roman, you know, and that's, that seems to fit fairly well, other than it says in the days of those Kings, which lends me to think that we're going to see a revival in a sense of those kingdoms in the last days, not just the legs of iron, but also the other, the other parts, because it says in the days of those Kings. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, I'll give you my perspective on it. Um, I believe when he says in the days of these Kings, he's speaking particularly about the 10 toes. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to kind of give a rundown of my, my understanding of this. And that is, so um, he says, Daniel says, thou, O king, art the head of gold. The Babylonian empire is the head of gold. The, the silver is a Medo-Persian empire, which was inferior. And then inferior to the silver was the brass. Now we see the brass, um, the, 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 the brass was both the, the belly and the thighs. So that, the, the Greek to the Roman transition, the Greek empire to the Roman transition where Rome took over, um, Greece is the birthplace of democracy. And that would have started back about 300, almost 400 BC is where the first uh, democratic rule and them splitting up in Athens and basically appointing what would eventually become uh, known as Congress and, and, and those um, where you have the, the normal everyday people uh, representing the, the people, not, not necessarily the lords representing the people or the nation. Um, so that was in Greece and you have the, the transition from Greece into Rome where Rome came in as an empire and you had the Eastern and Western Rome. So the Western Roman empire would been, uh, would have been Italy. Uh, I'm sorry, not would have been, uh, you know, where the Vatican is currently in, in Rome, basically uh, from Rome all the way to Spain and north yep. africa there yep and eastern would have been uh what today is Istanbul, which would have been uh oh man my mind went blank now <laughs> um, ottoman, ottoman empire ish yes yes it would have been the uh constantinople yep. so 
you have you have the Eastern and Roman Empire ready split off, uh, just like those two legs uh, had divided, and those Eastern and Western actually that extended out. Eventually, Rome fell, but the religious the religious portion of it stayed, um, and that East and West actually had a split between yep. Eastern Orthodox and the Western Roman. Yep. Um, around the turn of the first century uh, yeah just after just after the turn of the century so now as you go down through let's go back to verse 40 42 yep if you want to share that on the screen yeah that way you just pull it up and and um i have too many screens on my computer okay (laughs) there we go all right so there in verse uh Let's go to uh, 41. All right. You know what? Let's go to 40. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, one strong like iron. That is a Roman empire. Just like iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And as iron breaks in pieces, all these metals, it will break in pieces and crush the others. So you had the Roman empire just come up and basically covered the whole known world at that time and uh it it covered where all these other empires had had uh had ruled so rome was in charge verse 41 it says in that you were seeing feet and toes partly of wet clay and partly of iron so this will be a divided kingdom some of the strength of the iron will be in it for you saw iron mixed with wet clay so here It says that this kingdom is going to not only be split in two, Eastern and Western, as the two legs, but it's also going to be split the other way in the timeline. So as you go down through the legs, you have this section of clay in there. And that word, they shall not cleave one to another, actually has a thought of... Um, not following consecutively. So you have the Roman Empire, kind of a dispersing of the Roman Empire. It's partly broken. The last 2,000 years, it has been, uh, the last eh, 1,600 years, roughly, it has been broken. Um, The strength that it had dissipated. Uh, To be honest, most of the democracies in this world most of, most of the democracies in in this in, on the earth today are a direct result of what came out of Rome, mm-hmm. the democratic government. Yep. So you have this broken time period where this where this empire is a broken empire, but there's a time coming where it's going to come back in in the ten toes and have a restored strength the same way it was previous. So this is split east and west between the two legs, but it's also split in the timeline in that they go out and the, 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 the kingdom mingles with the seed of men. It spreads out across the world. It loses its strength. It's broken as the per se, the kingdom itself is broken. And yet its own government, its style of government continues throughout, throughout the ages only to be revived with the last 10 toes 
see these 10 toes. Daniel talks about 10 toes here. It does not necessarily say 10 toes, but in Revelation 17, where you have a woman riding the beast, right. the 10 horns are 10 kings. And the Bible says that these 10 kings shall hate the whore and shall burn her with fire and bring destruction to her and fulfill God's will. And they're going to turn around and give their kingdom to the Antichrist. Those are the 10 same 10 kings that you find here in the 10 toes. And in the days of these kings, these 10 kings are going to make war with the beast and they're going to be destroyed. He's going to overcome them. And these 10 kings here, it is in the days of the 10 kings that the Lord's going to set up a kingdom which shall not be destroyed, which is talking about the millennial kingdom. So now I know this is probably a little bit of a different angle than what you, uh, I'd like to know your thoughts on it. I don't know that, I mean, I don't know that I have a tremendous amount of thoughts. I mean, kind of the gist that I've gotten through when you're reading through Isaiah and some of these other prophets is that you have, um, it seems like there's a bit of a, a shift. So for instance, right now we we're very Western heavy in the world. So the Western powers, you know, or it, a lot of these outside powers have the strength mm-hmm. and, and, and so with that worldview, we often think that uh, the conflicts, you know, in the last days tend to include somehow has something to do with China or Russia or the United States or, or however you may be in, you know, the last century that they, they thought it was Great Britain or, mm-hmm. or Ottomans or, yeah, I mean, there's all these different nuances. But the thing is, that's interesting to me is, is just a hundred years ago before, or a little over a hundred years ago, before World War One, mm-hmm. geography was very different. You know, the Persian empire was still a thing. Iran was called Persia. Mm-hmm. So to me, I would, I would see that this is a bit of a twofold prophecy, kind of like you're talking about, as far as that it's, re- it's referencing the sequence of nations or, or kingdoms that came by Malone being pre- preeminent. And then you had the Persians taking over and then, or the Mede Persians, but, you know, and then the Greeks came and then the Romans came. I mean, it's like, it's clear as day, the four prominent kingdoms of the ancient world did come in that succession. Mm-hmm. So you have that aspect of it. And then you have him focusing on the, on the feet. The legs are strong, mm-hmm. but he, you do have him focusing on the feet. And then there's that incident. Or, I mean, it's either a, co- a coincidence or it is uh, purpose for it talks about 10 toes. Mm-hmm. And it's probably no accident that you're dealing with 10 uh, Kings in the book of revelation, like you say. So who exactly we're dealing with, it's kind of tough because Rome was such a mixed country. Like it, it wasn't that they all were Italians, if you will. Okay. It's mm-hmm. probably bad because, you know, Italia was a region back then, but it's not like they were just Italians or like it was one people group. They were a fusion of all the countries they inhabited. So mm-hmm. in some ways you have to look at the Roman empire as a more of a system than a specific identity. Yep. Um, what that system is, you know, that's where that's where it gets tricky. You know, some people want to say it's Christianity, and because there's no question right now, from the Eastern perspective or the Western perspective, you know, the Vatican, the power that it controlled throughout, you know, uh, centuries, 
certainly furthered what was Roman Empire at some point. But back when, you know, in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire had nothing to do with Christianity. Right. So that's where that gets a little sticky. And then on the, on the, um, I guess on the Eastern side, you know, you have kind of these different nations that, that there was ebb and flow, I guess you could say, um, to where Rome obviously overcame them. Rome was stronger than the Greek empire and overcame that region. They were stronger than Babylonians and, you know, conquered that region. They were stronger than the Assyrians. And that kind of goes with what you were pointing out as far as the fourth kingdom is kind of like breaking all of them. Mm-hmm. And then I've heard, I've heard some people use the argument that all this is then trying to say is that the stone comes during the time of the fourth kingdom. And that's when, you know, that's marking when Jesus came, that he came and, and, and established uh, the principle of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that was, it, it, at that point, smashed the, the idea of empire mm-hmm. or et cetera except that you have the issue of the toes. So the question then becomes, was this all past tense or does this all, or does it play into the future? I tend to think based upon what I see in other, in the other prophets that you're going to have a revival, not only of the Roman empire, you're going to have a revival of the Persian empire, revival of the Babylonian empire and a revival of the um, Greco, Greco empire, even though it may not be Greece as we think about it, it could be Turkey or, or, a little fusion there because you're dealing with that region of Turkey and Greece in, in the ancient world. So you're going to see kind of, I mean, I think you see a revival of that and then you have, you have this picture of these 10 toes. So do they play elite, uh, you know, pay allegiance to the legs of iron, that sort of thing. So that's kind of where I am. That's why I'm not like super strong on it, but that's, and I know that's kind of a round, round Robin. You kind of, I guess, understand my thoughts on that it seems to be talking about the ancient world time when Jesus uh, established the kingdom, but it also seems to be speaking of this future when ultimately Jesus comes to uh, shatter the kingdoms of this world who again, for whatever reason are in play. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this already not already not yet kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I like what you said about Rome. It's not necessarily a region, not necessarily a, a certain people or people group, but it's a system. Very true, because Rome, in its democratic form, it controlled the whole, the whole known world. Yeah, and it was a system. Right. And and what you would experience in the exact part of Rome in uh, in Egypt. And what you'd experience in the Holy Land and what you'd experience up in uh, the, the city of Rome was somewhat different um, just because of different cultures. But it was all um, connected in, in one system. And it, isn't that I mean, I look at the democratic system of government that was started in Greek that the Romans perfected and that our government in America in United States is based very strongly on the Roman structure. Right. And uh, not only our government, but many democratic governments throughout the whole earth. Um, one thing, so it says in verse 40, it says the fourth kingdom, it's going to be strong as iron and it's going to break and shatter everything else. And it's going to crush all the others. 
So you see all these kingdoms absorbed into the Aaron, the Roman kingdom. Um, and I think, uh, take, take the religious, the whole religious world out and look at strictly the secular, the world earthly governments. Um, these revived Roman empire in the 10 toes, I believe that is, okay, so that the, the, the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. That actually has happened already in Jesus' birth and death, resurrection, and the day of Pentecost and establishing the church. His kingdom of heaven is here. It is here on earth already. It is here not in its literal form, but there's a time coming when Jesus returns when that stone will fall down and it will crush every one of these, all earthly governments will be brought into subjection. Right. And Habakkuk says, righteousness is going to cover the earth as waters cover the sea at that time. That's where it says this stone grew and filled the whole earth. Right. We know that is coming in the future. We know the 10 toes, when they are destroyed, those 10 kings, they give their power to the Antichrist. That's going to be, uh, that's future. Where we're at now is in this time where, okay, King James, it says here, let me just read our new King James. Uh, and I saw iron mixed with ceramic clay and they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere one to another. That actual original word, there's like six Hebrew words that are morphed together in one, one uh, word there where it says adhere or mix uh, together or yeah, mix with one another, they will not hold together. Um, or King James says adhere one to another. That whole thing, that is where I see the split where the original strength of the Roman government and the revived government in the future, the 10 Kings, these two are not following consecutively. Some translations have been in there the thought that they were married to, uh, they were intermarried, but they will not, uh, it will not create a, a confederacy, an effective confederacy. But I believe the accurate understanding of that is that the, the first early part of this kingdom and the later part of this kingdom will not follow consecutively. And that's where that broken part comes in, where we are today, where you have democracy across a nation. I mean, across the earth, you have democratic governments, but you have no formal Roman, but that's going to be revived in the Ten Kings. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, just just uh, when I dig into that, and I know there's a lot of people that take that go different, different directions with that, um, but we know that the the stone that is cut out of the mountain is Jesus Christ. It is his kingdom. Yep. And we know that when it fills the whole earth, it's talking about the coming millennial kingdom. I don't think that's a question to anyone. Right. So any of them listening, if they wonder what that means, just, I want to clarify that. I don't know. What else should we have? Should we try to clarify here? I know here's a problem. People like you and I go into this pro prophetic discussion and we understand each other. And sometimes we take so many things for granted and people listening will say, man, I have about 10 more questions in my head before we started. <laughs> well, a lot of eschatological systems, okay, 
um, even like the Islam, this is just, you know, some people might have questions. There's kind of like the, in the, in the mainstream, I guess you could say there's the, a lot of, whether you go with Islamic antichrist kind of a system or not, they're based on this, what we're describing or what you were describing called revised, uh, the revised Roman empire theory or a revised empire theory. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like the Islamic, um, version is that the fifth, the, the last kingdom is actually the Islamic kingdom mm -hmm. and that it's not the Roman empire. It's the Islamic empire. And, and ultimately, you know, there's 10 Kings out of that. So that's, so there's these variations of uh, understanding on just like exactly who are we talking about? But there's no question that within the time frame that we're dealing with in scripture, in, in, in sequence, that you're, as far as mega powers in the world, it very neatly does follow mm -hmm. um, Babylon, Persia, Greek, Rome. I mean, they literally just, boom, 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 they do in history. Uh, some people, you know, like a Joel Richardson, for instance, would say, no, the fifth, you know, the final kingdom is the Islamic, et cetera. But it's called, it's based on this idea of a revised empire in the last days, uh, this coming back, in other words. And I, and I agree that I believe these empires in, in whatever way do resurface. I, and, and what I mean by that is that power world power goes back to the middle east does it make sense like it won't be driven by when i say i shouldn't say just the middle east it's the greater it's based in that region again so how the ancient world's power was centered in that geographical region okay mediterranean basin you know that etc middle east etc that will come back to prominence so China, Russia, United States, they'll diminish, as I understand it, as nations. I'm not saying they're going to disappear, but they're going to diminish in their power. And the Middle East will again ascend. And I think some of that, just if we're looking at, and it's maybe dangerous too, but if we're looking at just our situation today, I mean, every generation tries to fit biblical prophecy and the circumstances that they're in mm -hmm. but you know if we do that we're, we're basically you know what we would say today is that because of the financial expenditures of the west so europe and all of these countries that have spent beyond their means for you know decades eventually it's going to lead to a power shift mm -hmm. and that power shift is potentially the segue into um these other countries these resource rich countries again coming to prominence so for instance the middle east they have oil they've got tons of oil they've got resources they can sell and that they'll convert and we know the middle east is growing so as far as dubai and the emirates and uh, as a whole and kuwait and iraq and iran they're oil rich countries tremendous resources uh, of course we are as well but you you know, you tend to think there probably will be a diminishing effect because of our, because of how people are spending money right now. Eventually there's a reckoning. There has to be a reckoning at some point. I, you can't just do this forever. Every country that has spent like we have eventually kind of like implodes. So 
what that looks like in the time frame, I have no idea. I don't think anybody does. But that's how I would see a, res- a resurgence, if you will, of the power coming from that region. Gotcha. So I guess here the question would remain, would, would come, come up then, while, okay, that the Antichrist and the powers, the earth, the leading powers on the earth will be in the revived Roman Empire in that area around the Mediterranean Sea. That's where the power struggle is going to be. I see most of the world. So when the nation, when the Antichrist is, it comes on the scene, it's, we're told the whole world wonders after, um, after the beast. Uh, there's judgments that are going out on Antichrist and on his kingdom. And it says it goes out to the isles of the sea. So I think, I think we say, well, we like to look at it. What is in, where is U.S. going to be in that? I believe America and many other nations will wonder after the Antichrist, just like every other sure. nation. Does. Yeah. And, and so you know, I don't see them as being major players, but I, I see them as being in alliance with Antichrist. Um, and then the question, the Islamic Empire, and I, I know there's some prophetic teachers that would look at a final as the Islamic Empire. But if Antichrist does make a pact between the Jewish people and between the Muslims and the 10 kings give him power. Is that not going to be a democracy that includes the Islamic Empire? I mean, it's all going to be one and the same. And when the, when the kings of the earth, when those frogs go out to, to get the deceiving spirits go out to deceive the nations of the earth, it says they gather, they gather all the kings of the earth together for that battle of Armageddon. So this is very much of a worldwide it's affecting the whole earth. It's affecting the nations and they have come into alignment with Antichrist. Right. Because it's not only the 10 kings that give him power. It says the whole earth wonders after the beast and is amazed at, you know, and worships, worships it. So, yeah, that's, 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 uh, it, you know, here recently, we, my wife and I spent some time in a deliverance session with a lady in Greece and it's just amazing over online. She wanted, she wanted freedom from, from some stuff, uh, you know, from some bondages and you can, you can be across the world from each other. I mean, the world is actually very small compared to what it, compared to what it was before the internet and before oh, yeah. the travel that we have in the last hundred years, yep. um, the global empire of the antichrist, I believe is going to affect every nation. Yeah, and 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 it, it alludes to that sort of even with the whole witnesses mm-hmm. that the whole world sees them. Mm-hmm. Um, that allude to global communication. Yes. So it's he's certainly going to use it to his advantage. You know, the yeah. interesting thing. So I've been. I mean, maybe it's off subject, but it kind of ties in here. Uh, but so one of the things is, you know, I had a conversation with Doctor Hamp, uh, Doug Hamp, this spring sometime. And, uh, but I've been reading some more of his material. Some of the thing that's interesting to me about what he brings to the surface is that these, a lot of these images are based in the ancient Sumerian uh, worldview. In other words, you know, 
later the Canaanites, the Ugarites, the Akkadians, etc., all kind of got their mythologies from the Sumerians. So if you go back to the Sumerian worldview, you get this, you get these images and figures that Revelation describes. So in other words, when you're dealing with, and I've done more research, so now I'm more familiar with what he's referring to, but you you get this mighty ones, okay, these mighty ones. In other words, there's there's three kind of rebellions that the Bible talks about. The first one was when Satan deceived Eve in the garden. Okay. And then there's the second one is the angels who fell Genesis six mixed with humans and ultimately caused the flood. God had to destroy uh, humanity, et cetera, because of the corruption. And then the third was the tower of Babel. And that was another rebellion led by an individual uh, the Bible doesn't directly say it's Nimrod, but it's in the same time frame, and most most external sources would put them together. Mm-hmm. So Babylon, and this is the only reason I bring this up, is because Babylon is at the center of, uh, I mean, the ancient Sumerian kingdom was, if you will, the Babylonian kingdom, mm-hmm. and it is the source of all the demonic and adulterous if you will religion in the world because mm-hmm. its mythology became all these others akkadian ugarit canaanite egyptian greek roman all of them came from the sumerian view and the interesting thing is in that time frame abraham actually left samaria and that was a time when god began to show him directly different history a different path and a different reality. So I think you know, we can't stress that enough because people say that, you know, this is all just based on mythology. It's not like there is a legitimate um, God pulling people out and like, you know, he takes Abraham and he gives him a different narrative. This isn't just another reiteration of Sumerian mythology. Mm-hmm. But having said that, a lot of the epithet, a lot of the images that we get out of the ancient world uh will be will be coming back Mm -hmm. um the images like the beast for instance you know you have that represented in the ancient world as uh nanorta uh or he is a on he is an anzu which is a kind of a dragon bird beast okay um that totally matches kind of the description that revelation gives of him and also the the woman inana you know uh, she's the queen of heaven. She's writing the beast in one of these old these old inscriptions on the cylinder seal, and and then you have this individual Enlil. So when you understand the the basic history or the basic construct of Sumerian mythology, you understand a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes. So the Antichrist, it's a revival of that system. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, that ancient system was very religious. Okay, so it it wasn't like he wasn't religious. They were religious, but they were, it was off. Okay. And Nimrod or Nimrud or Ninorta in Sumerian uh, goes around and he conquers huge territories, conquers the Middle East as we know it. um, And ultimately, you know, he is the one who introduces a tremendous amount of evil in the post flood world. But if, if the beast could potentially, because here's what Revelation says, it says he was, is not, and will ascend out of the abyss. Mm-hmm. So he's a figure that 
felon judgment is in the abyss and he will come out. Okay. Now you might understand that differently. I understand, you know, that's fine, but that's the basic imagery is you're dealing with something that was Mm -hmm. okay. And is not, and comes back Mm -hmm. and ascends out of the abyss. Like it's been locked away, but it comes back. So that's where I see, you know, whether it's Babylonian empire, Roman empire, all these, whatever, you're, you know, those are the sequence. Those are the reiterations of Satan's different empires that he has in the world. He can use all of them to leverage um, what he's wanting to do because there's different princes over those territories. But ultimately, it's about the singular leader who's going to unify it all, if that makes sense. So he, ha- he in a sense, has to be an ecumenical figure. He's going to tie together. I believe the Jewish world, the Islamic world, the Christian world, whatever world you want to throw at it, because it's the nature of what a mighty one was. You know, the Roman Empire was the same thing. It went throughout and unified very different people groups. So that that goes into, I think, what our last discussion was about the seven churches. Did you think any more about my uh, what I had shared? about the church of Thyatira and the church of Pergamos, uh, the church of Pergamos being the religious arm of the antichrist, because Jesus message to them is repent, or I'm going to come and fight against you with the sword of my mouth, which he comes back in revelation 19 fights with the sword of his mouth, takes a false prophet, which is the religious arm of the antichrist. And he, uh, he, throws him with the antichrist directly into the lake of fire so you have that and then you have the the church of thyatira which is a roman church and you have that pictured as a woman riding the beast i think i had shared some of that did you have any more thoughts on that because it yeah go ahead well i mean as far as it was eye-opening to me to make those connections i just you know hadn't heard anybody make those types of connections before so it was it was very meaningful to see how that side also plays into it. Like the thing that I think a lot of people you're dealing with prophecy, you know, it's very rich, it's very detailed. And that's why it's so difficult because when you adopt just one singular system, okay, it never takes into account all of the nuance. There's just like a ton of prophetic nuance. Yes. And part of that is because this is this great culmination point. And God wants to just blow everybody away as far as how all this can come together. So for instance, like if you approach it from an Islamic point of view, you're going to probably find information you need to make it work. Or if you come from a Christian point of view, like a, uh, you know, Roman revived Roman Christian kind of a thing, you're probably going to find some nuance there that will work. Or if you come from a uh, Jewish antichrist, kind of, you're probably going to find some information there that's going to make that work. So beings that all of that can work to me then makes it seem like, well, we're not dealing with a one singular thread. We're dealing with a bigger thread. Yes. Yes. All of these things kind of coming together. And, you know, I know there is a singular antichrist, but Jesus does warn of antichrists or pseudo Christos plural, meaning, you know, there might be one ultimate beast figure. Mm-hmm. But we could even be looking at some of these kings playing roles as minor <laughs> antichrists. Yep. And it's like the four the four horns that spring up, but there's one that right. gets larger than the others. Right. I mean, 
one example. Mm-hmm. Right. They could, you know, you, you could be dealing with these different systems, mm-hmm. all leading people one direction, yeah. which is Satan's ultimate Mm-hmm. ruler that he's going to establish and give his authority to yep yep that's uh it, it's not a single thread but it's a whole interwoven uh blanket <laughs> yeah well and, you know there's some people that have a problem when you talk about the devil uh the kingdom of darkness or the devil's kingdom and they don't want to see it as a kingdom it is a kingdom with a lot of hierarchy with a lot of structure um and the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light are two kingdoms that are opposed to each other. And bottom line is these two both, well, we know that the kingdom of darkness wants to play the narrative and wants to control the narrative. And we know that's not going to happen because Jesus is Lord of Lords and God is over all. And the Bible says that in the end, Jesus is going to redeem the whole creation. And after he has put down all power and all principalities and brought everything into subjection, he's going to hand it back over to the father. And he himself is going to sit down and become subject to the father at that point. So at this point, it seems like God's standing back saying, uh, Jesus, you're in the redemption process. This is your plan. This is your, your work. I'm behind you 100%. And you know, that's your John five. God, uh, Jesus said that the father judges no man, but has given all judgment unto the son. And so we have these two, we have these two forces. And as a Christian, I know this is not even hardly going to be a battle. I mean, there, it's, it's, it's like, it's not even a David and Goliath. It, it's the, the difference is even way, way different in proportion to each other. Um right. But yes, anyway, well, I look at like, for instance, you know, Jesus, there's several mentions where it would, it would, it would seem, you know, he was the creator. He was the creator of the world that this whole, the, the world as we see it or creation as we see it was really Jesus idea. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a verse that had caught my attention. It's in first John. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. That. It just caught my attention because, or I think it's in, is it the gospel? Um, let me look here. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Give me just a second. I can search for it here, maybe. It's the prayer that he prays. Uh, he basically says, Lord, give me the glory I had with you before the world was. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that? Let me just use my other Bible thing here. I have too many Bible programs. <laughs> That's where he says the glory. It's given 17 five. Here we go. Um, and this is just one of these, it just caught my attention. That's all it said. And now father, this is uh, ESV glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Mm-hmm. And then it says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours, they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now 
they know that everything you have given me is is from you. So this connotation, kind of like what I'm, what I see in this is that Jesus was the creator. We know that in Scripture that you know he he made the world and the, came into the world and the world didn't know him. So Jesus is the creator, and he probably created. If he's the creator, he created the the beings. He created everything. So you know this is personal. This is a personal. Uh, thing for for Jesus. This isn't like God screwed up and sent Jesus into the world. I think we kind of get that idea that the father messed up or something. I think this is kind of like this is the son's idea. This was the son's thing. The son wants to glorify the father, even though they're one. You know, you understand. I mean, it's explaining God is impossible in human terms, but there seems to be that aspect to. Uh, to Jesus having wanting to bring glory to the father and using that kind of language. So in other words, he creates a free will world of angels and humans. So in other words, different species of intelligent beings. Okay. Uh, I only, I use that because of the scientific minds, you know, maybe they can comprehend better that the biblical truth of, you know, God actually created more than one type of intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> intelligence. But anyway, you know, we're lower than angels. Angels were above us. And then there's these cherubs that are even above them. So the highest order of angels and lower order of angels, and then there's us. And so we know biblically there's this higher hierarchy and the rebellions include them. It's not just human issue that we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the divine issues as well. So Satan stole authority from humans because the earth was, was given to humans, but he stole authority from us. And it was the creator himself was the only person who was able to actually take that back. Humans were unable because we were mortal to take back our own destiny, if you will, from the evil one, Mm -hmm. because he held that over us, death and hell. Now, what's interesting to me, maybe this is segueing into a weird thing, but we can we can get back on track. But it's a funny, funny rabbit trail or a fun rabbit trail. Uh, but to me, so you're talking about realms. Um, you, you know, Jesus uses the term Hades. This is actually something I've been researching a lot the last few months because I'm I'm working on another book where I kind of deal with the whole concept of the cosmological understanding of of the Bible, but. You know, Hades is a realm. It's a real realm that God created. He created a special realm for the fallen ones. And to me, okay, when did God create this realm? Did he create it from the beginning? It doesn't seem like it. So where does this come from? Where does Hades come from? What's the idea? What's the history behind it? And what's the thought? Well, it's not that hard to figure out. I have a theory. I could be wrong, but I have a theory that of course you have a the the, the, the visible and the, the the seen realm and the unseen realm, right? So we're in the realm that we can see. It's just because we're not high enough being that we can't we can't see what's in the unseen realm. But it seems to describe Hades as being in the earth, okay, or under the earth or whatever, right? Now some people say, well, that's the abuso. That would be in the center of the earth, you know, bottomless pit, that sort of language. But Hades had uh, basically three um, spaces. Okay. You had the Elysian fields, you had the 
um, what is what is it called a modal or a, a, a full i can't think there's this kind of place where it's not that great but it's not horrible okay. and then you have tartarus okay and tartarus is used by peter as well as a place of the ultimate bad people are kept in right but all of this is contained in Hades. And we, we see this example of Jesus talking about Lazarus and the rich ruler. Lazarus, when they pass away, Lazarus is in a nice place. And there's this gulf and there's this, you know, the rich man is in, he's in Hades, but he's in a, he's in a worse situation, a bad situation. He's in Tartarus. Well, this imagery exists. I personally wonder that the ancient world was was destroyed with a flood. Mm-hmm. That literally means the places they lived were destroyed with a flood. Mm-hmm. And that that world exists under the waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you, you know, flood legends and all that, Atlantis disappearing by a flood and all that. So the ancient world, the places where these people lived, where they roamed, where they wanted to be, were destroyed. And they're located in the low parts of the earth Mm -hmm. what's what's covering the low parts of the earth now water what happens when jesus remakes the world in revelation no more more water so you know now what does the abyss mean see in the jewish mind the abyss was the sea it was Mm -hmm. judgment it was liquid judgment right Mm -hmm. and then you see this imagery in the prophet speaking about beasts rising out of the abyss so the and the abyss in the Jewish mind is the seas, because mm-hmm. it's the liquid judgment of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just using that as a term so you understand where right. I'm coming from. So they physically like these low places. Why did the pigs run into the Sea of Galilee? Mm-hmm. They're running home. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> literally, the demons got in them and they wanted to run home. Yeah, they went home. Yeah. It's at the bottom <laughs> of the water. So, so anyway. That, that's interesting. I, you know, I'll just share how I have seen this for your consideration too. Um, so David says, if I lift up my eyes in hell, behold, thou art there. Um, and that word in the original would be Sheol. It's translated right. hell. I would see Sheol as the underworld or the place of the dead. And within Sheol, there is Hades, which is a wicked dead. There is paradise. Abraham's bosom, which is a righteous dead, were dead, and between them is a great gulf fixed. When Jesus, when he died, he went down first. He descended first into the innermost parts of the earth, and he preached to those prisoners, the souls, the Old Testament saints. He preached to them who were in Abraham's bosom, and he delivered those who were held captive by death because he destroyed death, he delivered them, and he took them to heaven. Now, Sunday morning, when he met Mary in the garden, he says, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. So we know that from the time of his death until his resurrection, he had not gone to heaven. He was down. And the same time that he appeared to Mary, many of the Old Testament uh, saints appeared in Jerusalem. So it's like they all did a pit stop. But right. that goes right with what you're saying, except now, well, hey, maybe it's not the lower parts of the earth. Is it over under the ocean? I don't know. There's sometimes there's so many things. Uh, I just know this. 
when it comes to prophetic <laughs> word, I've always, I've always come, approached the prophetic word and the word of God from this perspective. God can write the future more accurately than man can record the present. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. So he, he writes, and the detail that we are given is absolutely mind-boggling. And there's many times I go in there with an open mind, and I have all this information, and you kind of lay it out on the shelves, lay this all this out like okay how does this connect and it's as you're studying and as you're reading pieces are coming together and pieces are coming together and and i enjoy i i I get i can get lost in the detail of the prophetic word because in the detail all of a sudden there's things that are start clicking and things that are coming together and it's like wow man this book this book right here is more up to date than anything you ever find. <laughs> and oh. anyway, it is, it is it's, absolutely. It's the only book that you can read it for your entire life and be as thrilled at the end as, as you were at the beginning. Like, and, it's and, not like the Bible has become less boring now that I've read it however many times. Yep. It's more interesting than ever. Like, and when does that things, happen? There's more things to learn every all the time, continually. Every time. <laughs> every time. Yep. I just, uh, I had a guy on last week, uh, Aaron Lipkin, and he just on a, no, I want to have him on, on again to talk about it, but he had this discussion, a little bit of information that I, it's there in scripture, but you just don't think about it, that there were seemingly uh, of the children of Ephraim living up in Israel, while most of the children of Israel was down in the, you know, doing the Sinai thing. Mm-hmm. There's actually biblical evidence for it. I'll leave that for later. But it's like, whoa, like it's actually in scripture. It mentions it. It's it's an illusion. It's not like calling it out, but it's there. It's like, whoa, that changes stuff a little bit anyway. Yep. So that's just fun stuff. I mean, for the from the from the biblical standpoint, the 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 hub is this Mount Hermon and the base of it is you know the gates of hell and the idea of the pan cult and jesus goes there and says you know the gates of hell will not prevail so of course there's total connection to the underworld in that as well there's just a lot more information there but from the abyss standpoint definitely seems to be alluding to the watery grave and i should say too there is archaeology that they found of buildings like in the mediterranean for instance under the water at levels quite a bit lower that that these people built, you know, back in the day. So it's kind of interesting. It's old, you know, so what do you make of that? Well, Bible actually reinforces that. All right. Is there anything else with uh, Daniel two that we want to talk about before we get into maybe Daniel seven? No, I think we pretty much covered everything uh, that I had to share on Daniel. Everything we didn't need to cover. (laughs) (laughs) On to Daniel seven and eight, we got some really interesting stuff here. Let's start in Daniel 7. Let me share my screen. I've got a different Bible program that looks a little better. Uh, Yep. All right. So this is the basic division, Daniel's vision of the four beasts. The four beast parts, interesting. Ancient of Danes reigns, son of man is given dominion. And then there's the interpretation, which is the best part, of course, the interpretation. Now, Daniel, you know, he didn't like what he said, seen here. This was not a pleasant vision for him. He was, he was very much uh, anxious about what he saw. 
So in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, uh, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw it in vision by night. Behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The four great beat and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Now, remember what I was just talking about, the sea and the representation of the abyss and the underworld. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, this is very much how the ancients understood it. So Hades and the realm of the dead below the abyss, whatever. So when you look at that, I know different people might say it's nations or that sort of thing. And it could be. It could be. Um, Actually, I see it at both. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. The four great beasts came out of the sea, different from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked up and, okay, so a lion with eagle's wings is a Anzu. So I can show you a picture. Uh, regardless, then I looked, its wings were plucked off and he lifted up the ground was made to stand the feet like a man. Some people, you know, wonder about that. Well, I'm just going to touch on this briefly. This idea in, in, in exists that these beings are shapeshifters. Okay, so the the four the cherubim that stand around the throne have four faces. Okay, does that mean they can present themselves as four different things? Like they can present themselves as a lion, or to present themselves as a man, or present themselves as an eagle, or present themselves as as a as a, uh, what's the other one? Ox. You know, so if Satan was a shapeshifter, it means you're going to see the four different primary ways that he reveals himself in different cultures, you know, bull worship. <laughs> anyway, Rome, it's the eagle. Uh, it's, it's interesting little imagery from the ancient world. I'm not saying that's necessarily what's going on here, but we have to remember that 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 these beings did have that ability to appear in different ways. Um Let's see here. Another four Greece out of the sea, different one another. First was like a lion had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground, made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. Behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings, of a bird on its back and the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong. And it had great iron teeth and it devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. And I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them, another horn, a little one before which the three of the first horns were plucked up by its roots and behold, in this horn were the eyes, like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. All right, we'll stop there. We'll, we'll read the rest in chunks. So let's just discuss this first section, unless you want me to read something else, like in the interpretations. Uh, no, that that's, yeah. So what I said earlier about it being both, what happens is what goes on in the spirit world is actually mirroring and controlling what's happening in the kingdom here, the kingdoms of this world, because, because the world lies in the lap of the wicked one, right? And so what you have happening in the spirit world, you have happening, you, you have it being controlled, the narrative uh, being run by 
um, I mean, what's happening in the nations, and yet it's their only, only what God allows to take place will take place. Right. And the absolute control of the narrative is by the God of heaven. So I say it's both because you see this here. Um, and I'll, I'm just going to dive into what I see. Yeah, so, go for it. <laughs> and, and tell me, this here is one thing that I have chewed through and chewed through. And it's one of those things I have a lot of things out on the shelf waiting for God to piece together. Things have been piecing together. Um, and I've been understanding this uh, much more than what I had before. And at one point, I almost reverted from what I'm going to share with you. So I just want, I'm saying this because I'm, I hold this loosely. Yep. Sure. So the lion, this here is this here, this fourth beast goes right into, he's given the mouth that speaks great swelling words is the same exact thing. Revelation says about the, about the uh, antichrist. So it's pretty clear. The fourth beast is a mixture of the first three, a worldwide power in antichrist uh again here we have the 10 horns 10 kings show up again and again and again these 10 show up at the end um same as the 10 toes same as the 10 kings in revelation 17 10 toes of daniel 2 revelation 17 but so let's let's back up to the first of the beast the first he's saying what is coming at the latter days at the very end this is what he's given us a picture the lion is england the symbol of the lion is the symbol of the nation England, of Britain. Mm-hmm. The, the eagle's wings is the United States. They were plucked off of England. And it's given a, a mind as a man. And our government and our nation has a personality, has a strength as a man. Um, so I see U.S. here in the eagle's wings. The next one is the bear. Uh, Russia is another world power at the end times. Uh, Russia, they, it says devour much flesh. There's many, many more people were killed. Uh, in some of the revolutions in Russian revolutions, even more than World War II and the uh, the uh, um, what you call it in World War II, the Holocaust. Holocaust, yes. So you have Russia here in the in the bear. The next you have the leper, which is uh, Germany, the next world power, the Allies. Um, and when these, these three actually merge together into this fierce beast, this fourth beast, which is the end time kingdom. And I believe God is showing Daniel just a glimpse, a rundown of the last generation or two, the last few generations at the end time, when the, the time the Gentiles come to a close. That's my understanding of this. Now we could we could chew down through here and look at what what uh, he's told in the in the uh, you know in the interpretation and where everything's explained. But that's just in a rough overview of what I see. Okay. 
Um, I'm just trying to read down here. So let's go down to da- uh, verse 23. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess we could start in 15. Or, or maybe I should just read down through that. And then we get to the interpretation part. Um, verse 9, start there. Oh, let me share my screen. <laughs> Keep forgetting. Okay, so verse 9, where we start in here at verse 9, it is actually showing uh, after Christ's second coming, it's showing the ancient of days, God himself setting up his judgment and uh, bringing the judgment of the, um, the, the, bringing the judgment to the beast at the end of the tribulation period. Uh, he's judging first thing that happens in revelation 20 there's thrones that are set up and all those who got the victory over the beast and over his name and over his image and over his the number of his name all those people are judged and they're declared righteous and they come into the thousand year reign along with the raptured saints so you have the five wise virgins that are taken out before the tribulation you have the five foolish virgins that go through the tribulation And Revelation 20, they are brought in, and this is the picture of what's happening there, and also the sheep and goat judgment is happening at the same time, where God brings in the nations, those that are left on the earth, and he brings them in, the ones that treated his people, both Israel and and, and the church, who treated his people good, he tells them, come prepare, come inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's right. not the kingdom of heaven. That is right. a restored Edenic as it was in the Garden of Eden. Anyways, right. go ahead. Go ahead there. I just wanted to give that as before we go down through here. So no, it's good. Absolutely. Uh, as I look, thrones were placed. Like I look at this, and this is to me a council scene. So like this is when God sits down and the council is assembled and there's you know, major, major movements happen when the council assembles. Um, and that at, thrones were set is exactly what Revelation 20 says. Right. As I look through, well, there's like, this is the most important part about prophecies. When, when you start with Revelation, you're messing up. You've got to go to the Old Testament, read what the prophets write. Revelation is just affirmational. It's just mm-hmm. affirming what is already written. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have the Old Testament context, Revelation is going to seem like the guy was smoking mushrooms or something. But when you understand what the prophets were predicting, it's because it's apocalyptic literature. It's very dramatic and, and, and highly uh, metaphorical in language, but it's describing physical things that the prophets were talking about. Yep. So that's people have to understand that don't start with revelation go yep. back read the prophets and then revelation Amen. won't be a so big of a mystery you don't yep. think like that's the mistake so many have made in you know yep. eschatological movements in the last century mm-hmm. is they're so revelation dependent that mm-hmm. you know and and this is to me this is the the problem with with so many uh, eschatological systems is it's just it's just it's really just mythology that they're making up this stuff and, Oh, look, here's the image for this. And that means that, I mean, it's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Yeah. There is foundation here yeah. that we have to build off of. Mm-hmm. Now there's going to be differences because mm-hmm. we don't see everything. We're still thinking, you know, this is future. This is still hasn't happened. So it's not historical in that we look back and can, can see how this all connects, mm-hmm. but 
it gives us a window into that world. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, as I looked, thrones were placed. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. His hair had a pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning with fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. Thousands, thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court sat in judgment. And the books were opened. And I always like that because I think the books is is basically probably, okay, this is what's planned. Let's go over the plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, you see that imagery with a scroll and who is worthy to open the seals yeah. and that kind of language exists in, in Revelation. I looked and then, uh, then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. So it's kind of like a little distraction. The little horn is kind of like distracting them. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, okay, so there's this, there's this language I was referring to earlier of a, these little antichrists and a big antichrist. Yep. Um, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Of course, that's a description. Um, some people like time, times, and half a time. You're probably dealing with that kind of language at the exact amount of time. I'm not sure. Is the, could that be talking about the devil and all his fallen angels being put in a bottomless pit for a thousand years? Yeah, I, I think it's fair because we know that there is a there is a pause that the, the millennium is simply a pause in the ultimate judgment yep. for this world to experience the identic you know conditions before God closes the book on all of the evil ones. So, um, but that's a very good point. Um, anyway, and I saw this is son of man given dominion. This, here's an important point. I think that's important. Their dominion was taken away, which means that they still have a dominion. This kind of goes along with the Deuteronomy 32. So there's some conflict around Deuteronomy 32, whether it means, means sons of Israel or sons of God. Um, sons of God is probably what it's referring to, but the texts dif- dif- differ. So like as far as Masoretic and, and Septuagint. So why is it important? Because basically it's talking about when God disinherited the nations at Babel mm-hmm. and basically put lesser beings in charge of nations. So now you have princes over peoples, which seems to be confirmed, for instance, you know, later here that the Prince of Persia withstood him for, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. So these, there are angelic powers that have dominion over the disinherited nations. Now the miracle of the cross is that God overthrew that authority and now opened the door for all nations to be, to be reconciled, which was not possible um, under the old system there. Anyway, I'm just giving this a little context. Mm-hmm. Um, and behold, oh, I saw the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. And this is one of these beautiful, you know, pre-incarnate Jesus images that you just, you know, here's you can make people squirm who are uh, oneness types because it's like, how do you do this? He's like the son of man. He came to the ancient days and was, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. 
His wow. dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. So, uh, yeah, I don't know that we need to talk about that. It's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> It'll be amazing. Uh, yes. This is clearly talking about first the millennium. I mean, ultimately now, case okay, beginning when he came mm-hmm. to when he returns to ultimately when he rules. Yes. So yeah. anyway, uh, and then in verse 15, Daniel was troubled over what he saw. He didn't like this image of the four beasts riding out, out, out of the water, the chaos, and then this council sitting, which to me, the council sitting is basically the moment when God tells Jesus to finish it, go finish it. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what you'll see later is it's at that moment. All right, time to go finish this. And, and you see how it says that as this was happening, the beast was taken right. and his body was burned and thrown into the lake of fire, which is what Revelation tells us. And then Jesus comes and presents himself to God and God gives him a kingdom. Amen. That's, <laughs> <laughs> woo! Now that that I'm telling you, I'm 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 sick of Washington. I'm sick of other <laughs> this world. I look at this oh, as my word. I have hope now. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, mortality in general, just this decaying world, the the whole reality of what we have to live in is just just pales in comparison to what God has planned for us in the future. Amen. Yep. So, all Thank right, you. let's see here. Where was I? Oh, uh, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So in other words, it's not clear to Daniel exactly what he's seeing here. He's not quite, not quite sure of it. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. This is the best, I think one of the best lines in the Old Testament that I have to chuckle at because we just went through a very complex uh set of images and he's not sure what's going on and here's the nutshell okay these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth great but the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever forever and ever end of story Mm -hmm. amen like wait that's it (laughs) yeah that's it okay anyway then i desired to know the truth about the fourth beast so he has some questions like okay okay that makes sense so you know what you want to know what's happening in eschatology four kings will arise out of the earth but the saints of the most high will receive the kingdom possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever that's it that's that is all that eschatology is trying to tell you amen period that's all it's trying to tell you Mm -hmm. it's the ushering in of the earthly and eternal kingdom amen yep but there's always more detail everything that's simple is complex yeah so (laughs) then i desired to know the truth about the fourth beast which was different from the rest exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of teeth of iron claws of bronze and which devoured and broke into pieces and stamped out that which uh what was left with his feet and about the 10 horns that were on his head. Now the 10 horns connecting to Revelation's image of the dragon as well. And the other horn that came up, uh, that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth speaking, or that spoke great things. And that seemed 
greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Amen. Here's like, this is Daniel kind of asking questions, yet at the same time telling you kind of what's going on. So you see that we'll see this imagery, we'll probably get into today, but see this imagery later in Daniel pop up again Mm -hmm. in uh, 11 and 12. Where we're, we're kind of the same kind of stuff starting to come about this fourth beast. So you have three beasts and then this, the fourth, uh, for some reason, this three and one is the pattern of whatever is happening right at the end. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's 10, but there's three and one, mm-hmm. like there's these, there are four Kings, but there's these three. And then there's a the one, you just see that pattern different iterations but that pattern thus he said as for the fourth beast there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces and as for the ten horns so you're talking about four kingdoms okay but now you're talking about ten horns so out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise so this last kingdom has ten kings And another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. There's the, again, three, one pattern. And he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Daniel 11 talks a lot about that. Mm -hmm. And shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time times half a time. This is the first mention of that 1290 that is all over prophetic scripture, which is the three and a half final years one way or the other. Okay. I don't know. If, tribulation. Yep. Yep. 42 months, three and a half year time, time and half a time yep. time times and half time. Yep. Right. All speaking of the same thing. Yep. Right. But the court shall sit in judgment. Here's the court images again. So before that, this is an allusion to the, the, okay. There's going to be four kingdoms that come out of the world. Then you have this council judging Okay, that's the that's the you know the ancient of days sitting and four son of man coming, and dominion shall be taken away from, okay, the kings that are on the earth, and they will be just uh, consumed and destroyed in the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Amen. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. (laughs) Amen. Yep. All right. Let's just, let's digest that. That, that is some pretty straightforward. um, So it's speaking about uh, Jesus coming back. It's speaking about the kingdom given on to. So, okay. This is one of the, I'm going to, I'm going to back up even more and kind of throw another monkey wrench in here, another angle. So you have this here, uh, covenant theology, and you have this thought of, of, um, that, the, the, oh, what's it, not dominions, the, the, uh, thrones, crowns. No, it's, it's another, um. Oh my goodness. Can't think of it right now. Um, when the coming, the coming, um, 
Bible says he's going to make known unto us through uh, the future dispensations. Yes, dispensationalism. All right, so my mind went blank there for a second. Couldn't think of the word. So you have this thought of dispensationalism, and you have the thought of covenant theology. And when you look at what the what the Bible says, that the Jews they are partaking of the fatness of the root, the covenant that God has made with man, met with man. And some of those natural branches were broken off and the wild branches were, were grafted in there. And those, those branches that were broken off, Romans 11 tells us, are going to be brought back into their own olive tree again. And you're going to have one, the Jew and the Gentile, Jesus has broken down the wall partition, the separation, and we are one in Christ. And here we have this kingdom being given over to the people. And personally, I don't see a distinction between the church and through and Israel in the thousand year reign. They are one, they are God's people, and they are both reigning over the earth. Um, and, and that there's where you said earlier, you know, you have one system of thought always has flaws. And, and there's again and again, when I look at the opposing systems of thought within scripture, understanding scripture, whether it's theology or prophetic, I look at them and I say, both of them have, have truths. And whenever we dedicate ourselves to a single process, thought process or way of interpreting scripture, we actually handicapped ourselves. Yep. So I just say that whether I mean, even the millennial, I have no problem with the millennials making, uh, you know, the future, the, the future prophetic uh, truths that are coming in the millennial kingdom. We have a spiritual down payment today because yep. we have the Holy Spirit, which is the right. our inheritance. Yep. So the millennials, where they go wrong is when they say there's no millennium and the premillennials, when they say that it's all a future thing, not today. I mean, that's just as wrong. But here you have you have this kingdom being given to the people who are one in Christ. And it is an everlasting kingdom and there is no end. And Jesus comes in for the millennial kingdom. And when we look at the end of the millennial kingdom here, it says, what is that verse? It says that there's no end and this kingdom is forever. And when you look at the end of the millennial reign of christ the devil's loose for a little season but there is no war there is no battle the devil right. deceives and brings many up against the camp of the saints and fire goes out from god and just wipes them out you have the great white throne judgment it's all over so all the battles and all the things that are going to be fought are actually uh before and leading up and through the tribulation period and this whole this whole uh passage we just read is basically a transition of this earth going into millennial reign. Yeah. Amen. It's all it is. It's very simple. Yep. I tell you again, I'll say this looking at Washington and the mess that we have here. If I wouldn't have my hope in the future, if my hope would be based on what's happening today, I'd be pretty discouraged. Oh. But I look at the whole thing and I say, man, it's, it's, it's going to come to an end. It's going to crash. Uh, and i'm okay with it yeah because you know what even so come lord jesus amen you know it's you you can try to hang on well i think we all know this but in life you can try to hang on to stuff and it just doesn't work you know yeah. like it it just everything is fleeting everything is 
you know, everything wears out, everything, you know, you build something new, it's exciting. Next thing you know, it's old, needs to be redone. Your vehicle's new. And then all of a sudden it's not anymore. You know, this idea, this world just cannot comprehend the true reality that we will experience when nothing gets old. Yeah. Nothing wears out. Nothing like there's no lack, there's no deficiency. And it's not that it's not that it's that dissimilar to what we experience. It's that it's energized and just fully alive. Mm -hmm. You know, grass is still grass. Trees will still be trees. Uh, We'll recognize that, but there's just no cycle. Yeah. Just always green or, you know, there's no thorns. There's no, none of that anyway. You know, and, and Jesus, okay. Our enemy is death. Yep. Jesus' enemy it is was death. it was death. Yeah, it was death. <laughs> Jesus destroyed death, and He promises every one of us who yep. put our faith in His shed blood and His perfect sacrifice that we also will overcome death. There will be a resurrection of the dead. Right. We'll be given new bodies. Yep. But you know what? That is not the that is not the final end of the create of, of the salvation story. The redemption story is a story of redeeming the whole creation back. The Bible says that the whole creation groans and travails in pain waiting. What's it waiting for? For the manifestation of the sons of God. Because when the rapture happens and it becomes manifest, it becomes obvious who the sons of God are. The creation is going to say, hey, man, we're on the final countdown. Seven more years and we'll be in the millennial kingdom. Literally, I believe that's what that means. It says it's groaning. It's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of man. So it wants to be delivered from this nonsense as badly as we do. And so. it says it was not made subject by its own choice. It was yeah. man. It was Adam's sin that brought right. the, the curse of sin, brought the death cycle on all of creation. Right. And it's suffering because of our choice. Anyways. No, no 100%. There's, there's a, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, how, eschatology is too complicated everybody's always wrong you know and a lot of that is just date setting but i call i always come back and say look the main theme of it all is very simple mm-hmm. okay regardless of how you view specific events exactly where things take place in the timing sequence because the timing sequence seems to be where it gets people in trouble exactly where in the sequence things happen is a little muddy mm-hmm. um what I, what I mean by that is, okay, so seven trumpets, well, you know, if we get into the book of Revelation, the whole seven trumpets issue, and then the whole bulls of wrath issue, and, you know, there's the, when is the, the tribulation part of the tribulation begin, or, or you know, it's, is it seven years of the seventh week of Daniel? There's a lot of nuance and details there, but in essence, what we were talking about here is it's just basically what's happening. Four mm-hmm. kings, one king ultimately raises up. And then his authority is taken away Mm -hmm. and then the kingdom of God comes. That's all eschatology is trying to tell you in a nutshell, exactly how that happens, how the Kings and all that, that's the stuff we love discussing for the fun of it. And for the joy of it, like, (laughs) you know, we, we like to dig into this because it's interesting. This is a huge deal. This is a big deal. This is why we like to know about this sort of thing, but it is based on the idea of, jesus returning yeah that's it mm-hmm. i want to show you I show you this here go go ahead well and you know the 
the three kings that the kingdoms that that merge into that one fourth and final kingdom um i wouldn't be surprised that united nations is the early portion of that fourth and final kingdom and you have all the nations of the earth and uh uh that are represented there and that we will see someday in the future the revived 10 kings coming out as 10 leaders and then of that we have four of them that are swallowed up in a single turned into a single one um yeah my i we look at all that and you know what we're just like the old testament prophets they desired to look into the things of Christ and it was kept hid from them. And yep. you know what? There's some things that are hid from us, but we desire and we dig through and every so often we get pieces that fit together and we say, boy, those fit. But you know what? Then sometimes a half a year later, something else comes in and say, ah, oh, you know what? I'm going to have to rethink what <laughs> back there. And I mean, I've been doing that for the last 20 years. <laughs> yep. Well, you'll do that forever because there's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people have had that. But at the end of the day, the Bible does say that there is a blessing for those who are anticipating his return. Like that is what I see in eschatology is it's not necessarily about being right. Okay. And on your exact timings and sequence and whatever, but it's about interest in that, in, in that he's coming in that he's going to redeem the world in that he's going to end the suffering in that he's going to end disease he's going to put a you know pause death he's going to do all of that stuff like it's anticipation so we don't study because we're just trying to be divisive and ridiculous and to control people we study because we this is an event will take place that we could be part of we don't we don't know Uh, i mean you're not going to recognize the beast kingdom until the beast kingdom is here period like regardless of how you understand like, you know, you mentioned how you see England, United States, whatever. It's not until that kingdom presents itself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you'll really know how all of these puzzle pieces fit together. And I can tell you, it will be clear to those who know their God and to those yeah. who read scripture, to yeah. those who don't know, it's going to be fuzzy. They're not going to get it. Yeah. So, And, you know, I've, I've always said that, um, if the, if the discussion and study of prophecy is not bringing glory to God, is not a creating an anticipation in the saints' hearts for his second coming, um, and it's not, you know, uh, quickening us and, 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 and it's exciting. If it's not doing that, if it's creating heat and if it's, if it's yeah. creating a fuss and a fight, yeah. I have no interest in it. But, you know, as you read the book, Here's the important thing. Never forget how the story ends. We must remember how the story ends. Because if we remember how the story ends, a lot of things in life kind of take a back seat and you realize, you know what? Christ is coming back. And that right there is the most important. Be prepared. Be ready for it. And he's coming back and he's going to destroy and wipe sin off this this old earth. And he's going to clean this old earth up. And, And for that, I am living in anticipation. Uh, amen. Let me show you this image here. This is one of the things that Dr. Hamp brought out. Uh, let me just find the photo here. This is interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. So this is uh, very old. This is ancient Sumerian. This is Enlil. Enlil always wore a very interesting crown. It was a 10-horned crown. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's not, this image isn't very clear, but I can, there's other images, but anyway, this is his chariot. This right here. Okay. Is the Anzu. Mm-hmm. And this is a uh, representation generally of Minorta. Okay. But this is the, a, a beast, if you will. Mm-hmm. He's a lion, but he's got wings, Eagle's wings. Yep. This is Inanna, the queen of heaven who rides the beast. Mm-hmm. So, this is all I'm trying to say with this is in revelation. When you hear these images, these existed in the ancient world. They understood the, like the concept of what do you mean? Woman riding the beast. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's Inanna riding whatever. And, or, you know, the seven heads or 10 heads. These, there was a, there was a seven head. I have to find, I don't have the picture, but there's a, you know, there's an ancient beast that is that. And all that it's saying essentially is that you know Satan's authority gave all his power to the Anzu, and the and the Anzu his his effect is basically because of the Queen of Heaven. Ultimately, at the end, they turn on the Queen. Mm-hmm. So at the end, you know, when we if we ever get into those types of subjects, the Inanna, who is the deceiver of the nations, mm-hmm. <laughs> deceiving by way of pleasure and all of the things that we would call the world. Um, that is her that's her role that's what she does she deceives by her enticements of getting people to fall for um everything we would call the world so i mean in our backgrounds obviously the world was clothing and this and that but we're not talking that we're talking we're talking about what humans go for what what gets humans excited in general you know it's it's generally sex power and money that's inana that's what she represented she was always there ready uh, to satisfy whatever. Like that's representation. The end, Satan turns on her. Mm-hmm. And that world of pleasure will disappear. And what we see in Revelation is a very grim existence mm-hmm. that where there is famine and there is all sorts of very difficult times on the earth. The winds stop. The earth is scorched. Global warming will be a thing. I'm telling you, yep. Yep. <laughs> it's going to be a very, yeah. very challenging time. Yep. So, anyway, I think we're we're we'll we'll stop with that. Any more comments that you would have to to conclude out, Daniel? Um, two and seven. I'm sorry. What was that? Well, any other comments or anything that, to conclude our discussion on Daniel two? And Daniel seven, you know, um, yeah, I think we pretty much covered covered everything. We see the the ten toes, the ten kings mentioned in seven, the ten toes in Daniel two, and the the end times. Um, maybe I'll just say this. You know, you remember that that uh, that picture that I drew of the Old Testament prophets looking across the mountain peaks. And there was this valley in there that was hidden, the Gentile yeah. age. And a lot of people, um, you know, when you understand that the, the prophets are writing around about the mountain peaks of Christ's first coming, the mountain peaks of Christ's second coming, it makes a little more, it makes a little more sense. And it's as we're coming up out of this Gentile age is coming to a full when you have these last uh, three and finally the fourth uh, kingdom here in Daniel 7. Um, wrapping up and it is in the time of that fourth kingdom that we have the millennial kingdom set up um, yeah. just 
kind of a nutshell there, bringing it all together. So sure enjoyed the discussion, Matthew, like always, Matt. Um, Matthew, I guess it is. You go by Matthew. Either one not, works. Either one either works. One. <laughs> always enjoyed fine. the discussion. We always have a lot of rabbit trails that go up. And of course, as you're talking, there's all these other rabbit trails we could go up. And it's like, oh, we'll delete those. <laughs> That's part of the fun. You know, I mean, That's it's, right. it's reason I have a more informal chat is because, you know, part of my goal is to hear all that nuance. Because, you know, everything, when you have a preacher who like, uh, you know, he writes everything down, there's probably hours of content that he's thinking about but can't share. So he's got to squeeze it. So I'm good with rabbit trails because you learn other things that connect, you know. Now, one of my rabbit trails that I, when you mentioned the queen of heaven, I'd like to know the, understand the connection, how that paganism was brought into the Roman empire and into the Roman church by Constantine. That'd be a very interesting, very interesting. Well, there's a couple more studies we need to do. I'd, I'd love to now get into chapter eight and then, work through uh, 11 and 12 with you as well, just to get your input on it. So we'll schedule that some point, but anyway, I'm going to close out this recording and then we can chat after, but uh, anything else you want to say? Nope. God bless you. Uh, Our hope is alive. The King is coming and uh, someday righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.